<laughs> oh, nice. I just have this boring cup of water. Both of you have awesome looking cans. Damn it. Oh, and Amelia is actually drinking a beer. Um, first of all, we all know we have awesome looking cans. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to Sauced and Austin, a Podlander Drunk Cast podcast. I'm Allison. That's Amelia. And that's Janine. Um, um, we don't. Are we going to record more? That was too perfect. I we're know, done. Uh, we're done. That's the end of the episode. Um, Julie, Julie is off this week, so we have, are joined by a very special guest, friend of the show, uh, frequent <laughs> friend and stalwart companion, Amelia Bazell, um, which I'm super excited about. It's like somebody else's room to look into over Zoom. <laughs> so the novelty overwhelms. Um, how you doing, Amelia? I'm good. You know, I, God, if my can stroke hadn't happened, I was going to suggest this is an opener. I really need you to know <laughs> how, 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 how deep into the Podlander drunk cast universe I have fallen. Like, I'm, I, I'm happy to be here, but here's the thing that happened like an hour before we recorded. Jeff asked me a question. That required like a moment's thought. It was some like mundane, like people about groceries. I don't know. And instead of pausing or saying, um, or hmm, I just, just stared him in the face and went, microphone. <laughs> <laughs> That's a more adorable thing to say. I've been holding this in. I've been holding this in for an hour, waiting to tell you. What did he say? He's used to oddities, <laughs> um, but that he definitely, he definitely was like, I don't, I don't understand. I was like, sorry, never mind. Okay, yeah, let's do. It. <laughs> you know, it occurred to me that I think the microphone video might have been a Patreon-only thing. So perhaps for like a oh. full year, we've had people hearing us go microphone without <laughs> understanding the reason. So if you don't understand why we go microphone, it's because. Janine sent me a video that was supposed to be a new Janine's Corner for the Patreon, and instead it was a video of him testing his audio going, microphone, microphone. And it was, uh, the, it was the best thing I've ever gotten in my inbox. Um, that sounds dirty, but you know what? I'm going to stand by it. Uh, that was, it was really, it was, uh, it was really something else. God, that... And you're right. That would have also been great. So welcome to Austin Austin and Podlander. Podcast again. Again. Uh, that that's how I am. Oh my gosh. What? That has had so much legs and that makes me so joyful. Yeah. Thank you for that, Amelia. Yeah. What a. Thank you. What a, what a gem. Uh. Before before we started recording, Janine was about to regale us with something, and I made him stop so that we could start recording, and then there were technical hiccups, so it took so long that I can't actually remember what you were going to do, but there was some kind of sound that you were going to make. Oh, well, you were talking about how you were singing Ariana Grande, yeah. uh, and then I was like, well, I'm, I have this uh, a hot beat that's stuck in my head from TikTok from this uh, creator that heard a cat yowl and then turned it into something that slaps. It goes, the cat sound is something to this effect. Yeah, this is happening. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> was the sound. And then it turned into a song that she made that takes those sounds and it's like, and uh, the lyric she said that she added was, uh, don't touch me, don't touch me. You're trying to touch me. Like, you're going to lose a finger or two. That is how close I'll get to recreating uh, the song. 
this, me recreating the sound, I think, was enough as an overload after all those cans and microphone jokes. <laughs> <laughs> Amazing. Um, I feel uh, like I could probably make some sort of tra- transition from don't touch me, don't touch me to uh, being Mr. Wickham. <laughs> but, <laughs> Easily. Uh, but, I'm, but I'm not going to attempt it. Uh, so I will just say that we are here today to discuss... A new PP, which is, in all honesty, more of a sequel slash spinoff slash highly qualified piece of fanfic um, that we all watched over the last several days, um, which I'm super excited to talk about. Uh, let me, I want to pull up the, make sure I have all of the, the actual things. So it uh, was a stream from Theater Royal... Uh, in Suffolk, in the UK, um, uh, being Mr. Wickham by Adrian Lucas, uh, the Wickham in the BBC AE PP Nemesis, um, and Catherine Curzon, who is a Regency historian, among many other things. I she I, <laughs> I found her on Twitter, and it was like follow. Um, I could not have followed any harder, so <laughs> seek her out. It was I was really like, yes, give me all of this information. It's fashion history, and it's this history. It was great. Anyway, um, it was uh, put on by a company called Original Theater that does a lot of live streaming things, and so they and it, the difference here between a lot of other plays that you may have watched online over the last year is that this one was actually live. There are have there have been others that have been live, but for the most part, when you're watching like cats on Andrew Lloyd Webber's YouTube page. It's because there was a, an archival recording of cats done at some point. Um, Hamilton, that's obviously um, goes beyond archival, but was shot long before the pandemic and so on and so forth. Um, so this one was actually live so live that I watched him um, sort of go up on a line at one point and there was a missed sound cue. And I got to tell you, that was thrilling. The, it's sincerely thrilling. It was like being seeing a play again. It really, that part alone really affected me. Um, but I'm so excited to talk about it with the two of you. So first, like, in the, in the live aspect of it, was that an experience anywhere near as potent for you as it was for me? Because it really, it got me good. I mean, well, I have a question. Yes, hit me. I was somewhat paying attention to, like, the pre-show. I ended up watching at 9 a.m. yesterday, so I was still, like, kind of becoming a person. With Thanks, us in the time zones. Thanks, time zones. <laughs> um, so I remember they were saying something about, like, oh, what an extraordinary challenge it is to have the, the cameras on the stage live theater. But from, like, a technical standpoint... Like, if he's an actor who has done both film and theater, isn't there's a camera there functionally the same as, you know, doing, like, film or TV? Like, to me, it didn't seem like it was such an elaborate, like, I'm on the stage and there are cameras. What a trick. What a jape. You know, like, why? I'm missing something from a technical standpoint. Well, I think that... There are a couple things. So first, um, there's always an added degree of difficulty when you're doing a solo performance, which this is. We hear Lydia off stage briefly. Spoiler: Wickham and Lydia in this this iteration of the PP 
Nemesis Universe are still married um, and in their 60s. Well, he's in his 60s, so she's probably 27. Oh. <laughs> um, she's an older woman now. They have grown children. Um, so, so there's a degree of difficulty there because there's no one to save you. Right, like you can't call for, and that's true. With just on stage, you can't call for line. Right. There's nobody to like throw you a bone, um, to fill silence, to give you none of that stuff. Right. Um, so that already there's that degree of difficulty, just as there would be with an audience. Um, but here it's also film acting as opposed to stage acting, which there's a lot of overlap. But I think it's a, in my very limited experience, it's a slightly different uh, approach and skill set. Um, you, you, you de-amplify yeah. your reactions. And, and it's, yeah. you're not getting the added benefit of having a live audience there to respond to. So the, the bonus of having an audience there with you is that you're getting energy from them and you're responding in the moment and it adds the sort of urgency to it. Uh, and on top of all that, the way this was filmed is it was multiple cameras on stage and he was delivering directly to the camera. So in addition to all of the other stuff, he was needing to remember which camera to look into, which is also something that's pretty hard to do. Um, I, on the other hand, it's not all that different. It's just that it's way harder to pull off. Plus, um, plus live. So yes. like any other camera situation, like all of those things combined, plus the fact that if you did mess up, you looked at the wrong camera, you flubbed your line, missed sound cue, like, you have to keep going. And in a film, on a film set, oh my goodness, like, most of the time you're spent is like, oh, I missed that, can we go again? Or like, start, go back to one. It, like, it's a lot of like, you don't have to deal with that. And like, all those, all those moving parts that Allison just now talked about, plus the live component, I think that's what's so technically challenged about it, challenging about it, because then you're like, there's just so many moving pieces to try to deal with. Um, but I would say I would I would also latch on to your critique, Amelia, uh, around the director uh, in that pre-show talking about not the director the... important. Oh, I'm sorry. Yes, in the interviews, I thought you were yeah. talking about the critic. Never mind. No, no, no. The critic. <gasps> we'll talk about her. Challenging. Um, <laughs> no, but the director in the pre-show, uh, Guy, uh, was his first name. Um, he, you know, he's like, ah, I'm a theater person. I, this is new for me, and I was like, you know, I appreciate that. That is that is an accurate state, on, an honest statement. But also, like, bro, it's the 21st century. You haven't had any experience with that? Like, you haven't been exposed to that in any sort of way? Eh, I mean, I was a theater director for 10 years after college, uh, and I've never directed a film. Yeah, I mean, I just, it's a... It's and he a, was also a baby. That dude was, like, 26. Which would make my critique even stronger. You're 26 years old, bro-ish. Like, come on. Like, you've had to have some experience with, like, I doubt it. I, it's an, I mean, having <laughs> having had a little theater training in the UK, <laughs> um, it's a, I, it, they didn't touch on film at all. It's yeah. There's, a like, a great there's a weird history there. of, like, yeah. right? So acting is certainly an art form that's in both industries, but... I think now about directing a film and what, which I'm never going to do, but which skills from theater directing would come in handy. And sometimes when you're watching, like, for example, I was just telling these folks earlier, I went to the drive-in last night. Um, it was a fucking hoot. I saw Ari Aster's um, Midsummer, which I had not seen before and fucking loved. Um, and as I was watching it, I was thinking, God, I bet he would be a great stage director because there's the, his staging, his blocking are really great. There's a lot of um, 
he has an understanding of what's visually potent that's not going to be relying on special effects or intense close-ups, like lots of moving pieces and long distances and the kind of things that really appealed to me when I was directing theater. Um, so, yeah, my point is I think that there are skills to both that are really vital, um, but there are great film directors who would be terrible theater directors and great theater directors who would be terrible film directors. And I think that this, as a piece of theater caught on film, was pretty accomplished. And I've seen a lot of them. Yeah. First, because I'm a giant fucking geek and I lived on great performances as a child, just like injected directly into my veins. I've seen Bernadette Peters and Into the Woods so many times that it's absurd. Um, I just, I'm all, I'm all about that nonsense. Um so uh, so it's also pretty remarkable from that perspective because it also, one of the big downfalls of when you're doing something like this, when you're capturing a play on film and it's not a film, it's theater but seen through a camera, um, there's a, a tendency to be kind of flat. Mm -hmm. And here I think he really was using the camera to his advantage. Um, yeah. There like, were a lot of very cool transitions um, it certainly reinforced for me that he was out there on his own mm. um, just because we saw so much of the stage because he moved so much and the camera moved so much. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah, um, I think I think part of my critique, too, is just that it felt like in the uh, and it just felt like it was talked about as it was quite like a quite novel thing in general rather than very novel for that person, right? And I think that's the part that I was like, well, there's just so much experience with this. This doesn't, this, this generally doesn't seem that novel. Individually, totally, I get that. But generally, I'm like, oh, this doesn't feel as a novel, a novel thing. Yes, you nailed it, Janine. Mm -hmm. But I totally agree with you, Allison. Very well done. Like, like yeah. not a critique on how it was done, like just the comment of like how the, they were commenting on the novelty of it, I guess. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. Like, they... Uh, the director and the framing and the camera movement, they just, they didn't stick to the proscenium thing. They accepted the thrust experience. Also the experiential, like you're, in, you're on the stage, you're with the actor, you're, 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 you never feel like you're not a part of his world. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, I would accept the thrust experience from Mr. Wickham. <laughs> oh, <yeah. laughs> Emma, I Amelia, feel like Amelia, you're just shooting straight fire. I feel like I'm a t-ball stand just putting it on there for you and you're yeah. just knocking it out of the fucking Janine, park. Janine, you're making me look great. I God, really, you, I you appreciate just, you so much. I am unknowing and just fucking love it. You're so good. You know, I'm usually, sure. usually when Janine makes Julie and I look good, it's either because he is very politely reminding us that we've been talking for 20 minutes straight about something that doesn't matter <laughs> by saying like in the chat, 20 minutes. And then we'll be like, <laughs> fine, Janine. Or... Or it's because it's because he'll be like, um, it's a the golf tee. That's a tee. I'm tee. It's a joke about golf. I'm tee. I'm teeing up a joke about golf. And then Julia will be like, No, no, go home. And here it's just that he's been setting you up. See, you're really succeeding. You're killing it. Thank, oh you. My Thank gosh. you so much. Um, so really quick, some context for people who didn't see it because I know. Um, I'm it, you know, the ticket was twenty pounds, so it's not something that everybody's got at hand at, at, in this economy. Um, 
in addition to that, I know that some people who were intending on watching it had some technical hiccups. So for those of you who didn't see it, we'll give you some, or like people in the future. I don't know. It's an oral medium. I should probably be uh, competent at it. So the context is that it is George Wickham's 60th birthday. Adrian Lucas is playing very identifiably the same George Wickham. And uh, the context is they've they've left some, you know, pub, tavern, assembly, wherever the hell they were, um, because Lydia got all mad because he was flirting with someone. She's locked herself in the bedroom, and he is having a brandy and reflecting on his life on the, on the evening of his 60th birthday. Um, meanwhile, he's telling us about some folks across the street where they're... Um, sweet young daughter is about to run off with a captain from the army and will she actually go through with it? And he is sort of also reflecting on his life through that. Um, as with all solo performances, there's the major conceit you have to accept right away, which is that for some reason, this person is telling you all of these things for no reason. Um, the best actors find a way to make it feel plausible anyway um as opposed to sort of waiting for you to get acclimated to it and i really did feel like he was inviting us in you know what i mean mm. um and then eventually you know he just leaves there's a there, there's no real plot so to speak um it's more of a like a it's it's like a an experience old, <laughs> an old dude drinking in his study and he's like oh i've cornered someone let's talk about my life Yes. Uh, and it, mixed in with all of that, part of the fun is that he uh, essentially updates us on all of the the characters that the major characters that we meet in Pride and Prejudice, um, and gives us his perspective on some of the events. Um, which I this was the part, and maybe this is where we can start. This is the thing that I thought was the most well done because Adrian Lucas, who again also co-wrote this, does such a good job of seeming genuine and charming and affable that you s sort of forget that he's an unreliable narrator until he starts unreliably narrating. And then you have to retroactively go back and cast doubt on all the shit you heard before. <laughs> and you don't actually know. I mean, I feel like I believe, I think that he thinks the things that he says are true at this point. That was what I took from it. Like he's been telling the story about, um, uh, losing the living um, at Kimpton for so long that he actually believes it's true now. Um, some of it you're like, uh, like, the way he talks about Georgiana, I'm like, I'm pretty sure you're full of shit, dude. Um, but it, but I thought it was very interesting how long they wait to make that more explicit, to make, to remind you that this is not a reputable source of information beyond bias, that he is a habitual liar and an expert manipulator. One, well, his conceit at like that he's basically leaning into and celebrating is the fact that he knows he's a bad guy and he's like, but I make good stories happen kind of thing. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's, uh, I mean, sure, asshole. Like, <laughs> I think uh, as an argument for rakedom and uh, as a sort of a statement on the Regency in general, because I've been doing a lot of Regency reading, I've been doing a lot of regencing, reaching, reading of reading. Reaching. <laughs> Reach, reaching. <laughs> I'm God. No, God, who am I, Janine? Um, <laughs> <laughs> microphone. <laughs> um, uh, I think uh, 
I would rather say anything you want of me when I die, but don't say, oh, he was dull. Yes. Yeah. Is like a really interesting insight on that character and a, a great statement about uh, a lot of the sort of Regency rakes that we see in so much fiction. <coughs> Bridgerton. Get <laughs> ready for seven seasons of rakes, folks. Bridgerton, it's all rakes all the time, baby. As long as it's always sexy all the time, too. I'm into it. Yep. Love that show. Uh, anyway. Um, so, yeah. Any other thoughts on, on the, the unreliable narrator bit? No. I, like, the more I thought about it, that became more present in my mind. Uh, the more I was, I was like, prepping for this conversation, thinking, like, what do I feel about this? And I was like, no, he was a very unreliable narrator, and he's, like, he acknowledges it kind of, but I just was thinking more and more about what he talked about and being an old white man who failed upward into money. What a, like, eh, I got to rethink, like, a pleasant experience. I got to rethink everything that guy said. So, like, it's, that's basically my expansion of what you just said. I experienced something similar. Was was he still sympathetic to you? No, mm. not at all. Mm. In fact, like I got actually a little frustrated. I was like, "Oh man, you know, like I I was trying to describe this to my mom, and I was like, you know, it's it wasn't a bad play. I don't think he like don't think anyone was trying to make uh, make Mister Wickham seem like a good person, um, but it was frustrating to think about how this guy sucks so bad and like he never really the you know what his consequence in life was to marry someone like him that was his consequence in life everything else there like does doesn't matter he's fine you know his children he's living in a house he's making up stories about the people next door that dude so yeah not sympathetic what about you amelia i think the argument is made, like the pro-rake argument is made and won so early that in that moment, in that like hour of time, I guess I would say I found him sympathetic just because I was suddenly on team like, being a rake is awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. Listener, Tell me- after Amelia finished watching the play yesterday, she texted me in all caps, I want to be a rake. It was a delight. I want to be a rake. So in that sense, I was like, all right, I'm down for the ride. Let's party. And of course, looking back on it, I'm landing where you, where you are in terms of, I don't trust this guy and he sucks. But man, during that hour, as he was drinking that not very convincing looking cranberry juice that was supposed to be brandy. Mine looked way more like brandy. Maybe they ran out. <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> um, I, I mean, I was, I was there for it. The unreliable narrator piece that I am also like really fixated on is the idea, like he implies so much that the, while he's flirted with ladies since marrying Lydia, he's only ever boned the maid. I don't buy that for a minute. I don't buy that for a minute. He has been having the thrust. How is it? How is there a universe where Mr. Wickham didn't continue to have the thrust experience all up and down? <laughs> All up and down, you know, Britain. Like, so, ooh, ooh, I'm just thinking about that a lot. That's funny. I didn't read that at all. I read it as um, that he only ever loved one woman. Mm. And it was this maid. And And that that includes Lydia. And there is one of the things that I found the most sort of emotionally engaging about it is this really complicated line that he walks when talking about Lydia where there is obvious affection 
and simultaneous utter disdain. And it makes it makes sense that those two people who have so much in common and both like to have a good time would wind up at this point in their lives equally enjoying each other as companions and just hating all of the bad things that they also see in the mirror, right? Um, I found all of that really interesting. But yes, Amelia, I, um, I agree that his protestations of not doing X, Y, and Z wrong, I didn't buy. But I, but I assumed that when he was talking about the difference with the maid, that it was that, she, uh, that he fell in love with her. Despite the fact that she was only normal level pretty or whatever the hell he yeah. said. <laughs> when, he started that, when he started that story, I did not pick up that this was later in life after he had been married to Lydia. I thought this was just some other person. And so my <laughs> interpretation of that was that, oh, that was the last young person that he almost boned. Oh. <laughs> and then, like, Lyd- and, like, that's why he thinks so fondly of her because it was the last chance he had. And then he started looking more like 60 than 40. Uh, speaking of... Speaking of what? Good God. I got a text message on my stupid computer that had the word legends in it. So I, I got really excited. And um, which legends of tomorrow is back. I'm so excited. Um, Janine, what point did you just make? Holy crap. I made this point about the last uh, young person he almost boned. Because he's. Ooh, yes. He has... So speaking of youth and boning. Yes. Um, can we talk about the section with uh, Harriet and. Harriet Wilson and Byron, because that was fucking magical. <laughs> I loved it. That's, I, um, didn't, I don't think I completely understood what was going on there. So some of that might, I, I wouldn't know because this is something that I know because, again, I've been doing all my regioning, regioning, um, regioning, regions. Re- certainly re- reaching still. Read ginseng, regioning, read gin. Sing? Okay. Um, Jensen, got it. Uh, so, Harriet w- Wilson? Harriet Wilson? Wilson. Uh, that feels I think true. that's right. Yeah. Harriet Wilson. Um, n- because now I want to say Harriet Smith, but that. No, um, that's not Harriet Smith. No, I want to say Harriet Walter. I'm which Harriet- is close, but not, not the same. Wilson? Wilson seems right. Though I'm like a big Tom Hanks fan, I might be thinking of Castaway. <laughs> Uh, Harriet Wilson, yes. Okay. And it's Harriet, not Harriet. Um, uh, is a historical figure who was a celebrated courtesan, as they say, um, who among her many lovers was uh, the Duke of Wellington, um, so made the Duke of Wellington after winning the battle of Waterloo. Um, she was apparently incredibly captivating. She was proposed to many, many times. Um, And when her relationship with Wellington went off or she was going to retire or something, she threatened to publish and Wellington said, fine, go ahead and publish. And she did. She published this like scandalous memoir Mm. um, about her dalliances in the upper classes. Um, So she's a figure that pops up in a lot of Regency fiction, and in almost all of the nonfiction that I've been reading about this period in history, uh, Byron obviously is like <laughs> Napoleon and Bi- Napoleon Byron and Jane Austen are the three people that you hear about with regard to the Regency. Mm. Um, uh, Jane Austen obviously not mentioned here, but Boney is um, uh, as is Byron, um, and when he turns around 
and sees Byron, sees that his captivation has been outmatched only by the most, cap the first celebrity, they call Byron as the first celebrity. Um, that, I just found that really beautiful. Uh, Amelia, mm. the faces you were making here on our Zoom, it made me think that you did too. Was that, yeah? I, I loved it. And I loved that, like the moment where, because we've all had that thing of like waving to someone and realizing that they're not waving at you. <laughs> yeah. And like, what a humanizing thing for Mr. Wickham to be like, even this conceited garbage person has that capacity for like white hot disappointment and like, and like public humiliation for having been seen. Um, but then what really capped it off for me was just like Byron, first celebrity. And he was like radiating this, like he could get it. Like I turned around, you know, it was Byron. He was so hot. I feel like there's an implication of Byron could get it. And so uh, this is an invitation to everyone listening to write me that fanfic. Oh, I immediately in my notes, I wrote down Wickham now canonically bisexual. Absolutely. Um, but I really <laughs> but I think that it's probably not fair to say that. And it is fair to say that Byron is one of those people that maybe transcends gender. Which, we should all transcend gender. Gender <laughs> is a construct. Fuck whoever you want. But, um, I mean, fuck whatever consenting adult you want. Uh, but either way, whether Wickham is, is in this world bisexual or it's just that Byron is Byron. Yeah, I agree. That, like, mm. I mean, come on. I absolutely would energy. Um, yes. Like, it's, it's Charlize Theron. What do you think I'm going to do? Was, um, <laughs> was it was real. Yeah. It's Byron. Go with it. <laughs> oh gosh, yeah, just killing it, just killing we it. Need, we need a, we need hash marks here. Janine, too, that, too deep in the world. <laughs> does that um, clarify anything for you in that section? Are your thoughts about it any different now? Uh, I mean, it does clarify. I because I didn't completely know. I I thought these were characters that were at some point in. Pride and Prejudice that I missed, right? Um, but yeah, I, I mean, it is interesting to think about um, uh, the desire of him wanting to get to that next level of of society where he could be with Harriet Wilson or compete against Byron. Like, I think that's an interesting dynamic of him. I guess mm -hmm. I'm, I've now like most of my like I'm I've separated the my critique of Wickham and the, and my experience so that I because like. Wickham, I have very, very few positive things to say about, uh, which is very interesting. But the experience was so good, and I liked the play, and I liked what I watched. So it's kind of, I'm like, I'm battling that at the moment, is where my brain's at. Well, I think if you come away from the play super pissed at Wickham, that is a totally valid response. Well, and, I, and it wasn't when I, I actually felt okay with him at the end. I was like, wow, how nice. Because he then won it, you over. Yeah, it took me a little bit to be like, no, fuck you. This is why I love the play so much. Because... <laughs> yeah. Uh, he is, he's manipulating you even as he, as he is very often, probably not the whole time, but very often telling the truth, right? Mm -hmm. He's doing just enough acknowledgement of his own failings and flaws and mistakes that it, that it, there's an air of sincerity, but you have to question all of it because he's such an accomplished liar and manipulator and because he's also, you know, low-key delusional. Yeah. <laughs> when he's talking about Elizabeth, I was like, dude, Yes. You still think you could get it. You can't get it. You can't or, get it. 
or talking about their children, how his children are like super well, like super mannered and like their children is like assholes. I'm just like, (laughs) I think the idea of Lydia and Wickham reproducing a Darcy and a Mary is (laughs) fucking hilarious to me. Um, Like a perfect punishment for those two people. Just constant judgment from their children. (laughs) It doesn't stop at 17. They keep being like, Oh God, mom. Stop, mom. Their filter's probably even like even less so than like Mary because she's now they're like fucking. I see this every fucking day. You're ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, I think that's part of why I ended up finding him so sympathetic is the point that you just made, while also being like I don't trust you at all. Um, the point you just made, Janine, about his upward desire for upward mobility, because one of the things that I've always found fascinating about the golden buttholes in Austin is that so many of them, if you were in their situation, you would understand why they act the way they do. And and it's I mean, it's discussed at length in Pride and Prejudice. Where is the line between what's prudent and what's mercenary? Um, and when you think about somebody like. Lucy Steele, my personal favorite of the less funny buttholes. Um, she's my favorite Austin villain in the traditional sense, whereas Collins is like the villain who's also an idiot. Lucy Steele is not an idiot, which is what makes her so formidable. Um, I can't wait for you to get to Sense and Sensibility, Janine. Oh, Janine. Oh, you're gonna. You're just gonna enjoy reading about Lucy Steele. I gotta restart Emma. I like it's been too long, and I don't know what's happening when I pick up that book. I gotta restart it again. If you're gonna restart it, I'll <laughs> reread it with you because I'm making my way through all the Austins again right now. For as a part, I'll let of my you know. Read Jing, read Jinseng, read Jinsi. Your Jinseng. Thank you. I do have a cold. <laughs> yeah, your Jinseng <laughs> protocol. Your G- Jin- Jinseng um, routine. Anyway. Uh, Patty, the um, I haven't done that in a while. The the thing about characters like Wickham, like Lydia, like Lucy Steele, like all kinds of people is that you or um, Jane Fairfax, who is not a butthole to be clear, but who also makes decisions that are less than prudent, um, is that they have to survive somehow. What the fuck are they supposed to do? especially when they're women. But the thing about Wickham is that he is actually in a position to escape that and, based on your interpretation, either chooses not to or, in the way that he sees it, is sort of thrown out. Because the version that Wickham, listeners, the version that Wickham tells of the living at Kimpton is that Mr. Darcy, the late Mr. Darcy, promises it to him and then Darcy writes him and is like, hey, the living's vacant, but I think you and I both know that you shouldn't be in the church, so I'm giving it to somebody else. Fuck you, take this money. Um, Which I doubt very much, but which uh, made me think as I was listening to it, you know what, there's probably like 10% truth in here and Darcy is like 10% not being totally forthcoming yeah right like if only from the bias of his own perspective um like the truth is probably i wouldn't say somewhere in the middle but probably slightly ever so slightly moving in the direction of wickham's recounting then there was like it only took a one little failure from for wickham to lose all faith from darcy yeah yeah which Um, then darcy ran with yeah he uh he reached 
No. Mm-mm. Anyway, Patty. Thanks. We're he, back yeah, we're back. Um, so his continually his continually returning to the issue of money and mm-hmm. what he was supposed to do and the things that he could have done with money read to me as mostly being bullshit because he had these opportunities because he has these abilities he could have found any number of respectable ways to secure his future but he chose not to on the other hand who the fuck is society to tell you like it's like you should be able to you know survive it you should have options everybody should have options and it's particularly true for the women but there is some of that that applies to him as well so i thought mm. that was really interesting well and i uh, yeah it's once he's married into this family though and he's like underneath the darcy like once he's back within the darcy uh pocketbook because that's once once he married lydia that's what what happened like i uh, <sighs> You're now like you have the resources, you're safe. Like I don't like I guess that I don't know. There's a lot to be said. I just I don't know. Well, envy is a hell of a drug, man. That is true. That is very very true. Especially Amelia. Learn- what about you? What do you think about? Yeah. What do you think about Wickham the the butthole? Wickham the Lucy Steele. <sighs> like I don't know. For me, I feel like a butthole has to have some element of fun, and while it is fun to be a rake, like. Okay, to dip a little bit into Q&A territory really fast, just because it's it's related, like, part of the Q&A of many things that drove me crazy about it was they were talking about, like, well, today you have to be so careful about talking about things like consent. And so, like, I just, um, and I'm just, like, mad at myself for also being like, a rake is fun. Hooray. But then also, like, how much of these encounters were consensual? And so now I'm re- I'm retooling what it is to be a butthole, and at what point do you transcend being a butthole into being something worse? A predator, um, as he was. <laughs> as he was. Okay, actually, you know what? Sorry, I am, I'm taking this train, and I'm steering it onto a wildly new track. But, um, oh no, where is I going with this? Okay, uh, something I you might have seen that like my eyes and my brain went somewhere else while you were talking recently, because I am, is it time to have the biggest unreliable narrator conversation of them all. The one where he says that he married Lydia to save her reputation. Oh, well, that's the one where I was like, that's bullshit. You are full. That one is obviously a lie. I mean, for on the one hand, it's not like Lydia isn't a fucking moron who didn't give a fuck about her reputation or her family. Cause she is. Um, there is an episode of the series on Netflix I cannot recommend called Ginny and Georgia that's called Lydia Bennett is Hundo P a feminist and she is not Lydia is not a feminist um, she's not look at the no. way she talks about her other sisters you assholes Mary is a feminist Mary also <laughs> sucks but if one of them is a fe- I mean Lizzie is a feminist but Mary is the feminist yeah um, anyway yes continue I just, that, yeah, even even when I was like, yeah, rake party, rake party, let's do it, rakes. Um, even that moment, I was like, what? But then also that, I don't know, there's something so also so heartbreaking about, like, let's say we take him at, at his word. Like, how depressing would it be to know that your spouse married you only as a favor? Like, there's no good, there, you're not coming out of that. Like, either way, if it's a lie... And he basically, I don't know, did a 
Sarah Jessica Parker come, little children, like lured her to Brighton, and then was like, I saved you from Brighton, you're welcome. Like, I saved you from being turned into a cat, you're welcome. Like, that's depressing in and of itself, but like, if we did believe him in that moment, yeah, it would be, I married Lydia as a favor. And that just fucking sucks. And I know that marriage was so different in an economic proposition, and we all, we've all seen the Gerwig. We, we know that line by heart. <laughs> but it's just, like, now that we're talking, basically I was, like, rolled into this recording being like, yeah, this was fun. He kind of sucks, but, boy, it was fun. And now I'm just, like, descending into every, trust no one, and everything <laughs> is sad, and everything available is also available to break your heart, and <laughs> I need some of his brandy. I need some of his brandy. Oh, we've dug a hole. Well, let, we're going to live in this hole for a little bit because I think that's the challenge of like that's what the, I think. This is why it's such a good adaptation. Like it's great. I think it's it's written really well, and I it's acted very well from this you know knowledgeable perspective from this person who lived who was that character because he you walk away going yeah this guy and the more you think about it, like yeah that guy's a predator. He's a bad dude. That's, that was bad. But I felt so good in the moment. Shit. Well, I mean, that's a feature, not a bug, right? Because yeah. that's that's the Wickham experience. Oh, God, I forgot. I had a whole bit set up. We're doing it anyway. I was going to say that it's too hot and summery for me to burn my triple Wickham, um, which is, is like it's like midnight. Sun flat, bleh, midnight something. It's very autumnal, um, and it's hot. And who wants a triple wick candle burning in the heat? But instead, I decided I would burn Hot Girl Quarantine. Nice, nice. Now, just don't let me forget to blow it out when we're done. Um, anywho, uh, because he now I'm just gonna end up gesturing with this stick lighter. Um, because he, I lost my train of thought completely. I got so distracted by the candle. I was on such a roll. We were talking about unreliable narrator. It's the Wickham experience. Right. Um, because he has so much charisma and because he's so persuasive and because he's so manipulative, you are supposed to like him. You're supposed to like him and think he's fun. Be like, oh, well, that's a good point. And then when you revisit it, there's all of that other context. And of course, some of that is the result of, of self-deception, and his perspective and a great performance of any villain, you have to operate it with very few exceptions. And there are exceptions. You have to operate from the perspective that the villain doesn't necessarily think that they're a terrible person, totally. right? That they have made allowances for themselves, that they've convinced themselves that things are good when they're not. Um, there's often a lot of um, uh, sort of, positioning yourself as the victim in a situation where you're the one with agency and power. And that is all true here. So the added benefit of then being a guy that we've seen play this character, you know, with that young face, with the huge sideburns, mutton chops, um, which here, by the way, are fake. I don't know if that came up in the Q and A's that y'all watched, um, mm. but in mine, it came up that they're, they're fake, which, uh, that's some good makeup. Um, especially with that camera. Really good job. Yeah. Very convincing, very convincing yeah. sunburns. Um, it, it allows you to lean even harder into looking at this familiar story from his perspective yeah. and because the person whose perspective you're seeing is also a master manipulator. There are like <laughs> layers and layers and layers. Um, and the top layer is rake party is, isn't this fun? And it is fun. 
but the more you think about it and the deeper you dig, the more there is going on, which I, I'm such a nerd about actors living with characters over a long period of time. I'm yeah. fascinated by that relationship between life and fiction in that way. Um, so this is, was already catnip for me, but that thread of continuity from the Andrew Davies nemesis of Emma Thompson um, production of Pride and Prejudice to now was, I found incredibly potent. And I want to yeah. talk about that performance some more, but let's, let's keep talking about rakes and unreliable narrators. For well, and, uh, well, and uh, I guess maybe we'll get to the Q and a and the, and the, should we do the Q and a now? <laughs> well, I'm right there. Cause like that, that critic and the, way she was bringing up the Me Too movement, it felt, there was, I was, I was like, I feel like we're lamenting something here that in this character, like, uh, uh, Adrian Lucas is not shying away from the fact that that's how that character would have been. And he is a predator. And he is, like, we are, like, he's dipped in honey and we do love him. And it just felt a little bit like there was this weird criticism, like, that was a, I, I, I don't know how to put words to this. I just was like, this critic, uh, struck me as maybe the wrong person for this interview. And I don't know if that's the right response. I'm with you um, on that. Like on, mm-hmm. oh, go ahead. No, please. Oh, okay. Like, I th- do, do we all watch different You watched the matinee yesterday, right? Yeah. We all and, watched yes. different. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So the way it came up in the Q&A for my PP um, <laughs> was... Er, Relatively early on, they talk about, you know, how interesting that they had to shift from Regency to Victorian times. And, of course, that's just how time works. And so, like, it's not a surprise, but also, like, whoever would have thought about Wickham living in the Victorian era? And they made some comment about... I kind of got the impression that the critic and Lucas were kind of, like, in on it together in terms of having similar opinions. Interested to know if you think the same. But so, Mm. but interchangeably, they're talking about, like, yeah... What a pity! People are having so much more fun in Regency now. You know the buttoned-up Victorian times. However, could Lydia and Wickham enjoy have the fun-loving lifestyle in the way that they did in the past? And they talked about some other things. And then when they brought up like, well, you have to be careful these days about, you know, now there's like, what was it? The critic said something like, because the young people today are so prim. Oh, uh, you have she to, you have the to word. watch puritanical in my live by the way this woman's um she's a a critic and author and british tv presenter named libby purvis Mm. um is the obviously incredibly knowledgeable theater critic who also has uh i think like a really messed up view (laughs) of um progressivism (laughs) yep yeah yeah and so i i just keep thinking about like they go from lamenting how the Victorian era wasn't fun and Regency was fun in one breath to like, they also brought up like, well, yeah, it's sort of like how hippies, hippies back in the day are now adults and they have prim children. Wait, 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 wait. So you're saying that we're, we're basically in a new Victorian era where all we want is to know if sex is consensual. Queen Victoria probably didn't give a shit about if sex was consensual. Like it's primness. I'm just so annoyed at the idea of, we want to talk about, like, yeah, like consent, not because we maybe otherwise are just as interested in like hedonistic getting down as it was in the good old days. We just want to make sure everyone's available for it and in the right headspace. 
And that's, if anything, that's like, that's maximum party attitude. It's the rake party. All we want is a consensual party with the Wickham. And that, but they're acting Hot like. Hot girl quarantine. Yes. And I just, that's just so, it's like, I, are they deliberately missing the point because of, of, of fears of responsibility? Well, in, in my Q&A for my PP, that sounds different. Uh, <laughs> so uh, they didn't, that's much more explicit. So I, I like now uh, the, the context of that for the evening show that I saw after, after that Q&A. Uh, the critics, uh, she was hinting at the same thing. I don't think she full out said puritanical, though she might have said something to that effect, uh, but was like hinting at, oh yeah, well, these... Uh, the uh, the royal family was at was acting quite badly, and the uh, naughty is not the word she used, but that was the seemed to be the intent of in the Victorian era, and then in um, uh, uh, Elizabeth, wait Elizabethan then Victorian era. The Elizabethan era be- is way before, so Regency yeah, and then Regency. Victoria. Thank you. Uh, yeah, so technically, re- it's like Regency Georgian Victorian, um, but we think of the Regency as being a longer period than it was. God, I'm such a nerd now, y'all. You're right. into it. Wow. You're an expert. Anyway, so like the the new time period they're in, they're not doing, they're not acting as badly. But then it was those hints of like, but you know, we, this thing would have been like this is tough because of the Me Too movement, and it was just brought up in like really odd contexts within the questions and like what they were talking about. I was like. And Adrian Lucas, you know, commented that well, I'm the, uh, this character is responding as he would in that time, right? Like, I don't understand why we're now critiquing the like we should be critiquing this person with a modern lens, but also like this weird connection to this is a bad person because of the Me Too movement. Oh yeah, he's a bad person, absolutely. The Me Too movement is just all of us agreeing now that we shouldn't we should be asking for consent and actually like treating people with respect. And Mr. Wickham wasn't doing that, so yeah. What's the problem here? I don't understand what we're critiquing from yeah, this perspective. Um, if anything, George Wickham uh, would probably uh, have benefited greatly from a more open uh, society in which women had more power because then the women who wanted to fuck him could just fuck him. Yeah. He would have way more sex, like way more sex, and probably would have wound up with more money if he lived in a more liberated society, um, which when we're talking about the sort of lens of history and the comparison they're making between the Regency and the Victorian era, there is always this conversation about the more buttoned up eras being a response to the eras that the, the wildness and excess of the era that came before, which in turn is a response to the buttoned upness of the era before and so on and so on. Um, and I do think that when you look back at our more recent past, you can see some of that. Specifically, I think, um, when we entered the George W. Bush presidency, there was like a big step back um, culturally, um, <laughs> just in terms of progress and certainly in uh, in queer circles, but in, in the queer world, but throughout obviously it was a repressive era um but i don't think that's now i mean yeah if if we want to dismantle the patriarchy and defund the police (laughs) and fucking like acknowledge that gender is a construct and tear down the 
heteronormativity, like all of this shit, that's upsetting the balance. That's not regressing. That's up disrupting. When I think, I, I think the, then kind of into that, leaning a little bit into that point of like what they're implying by bringing this up is that Mr. Wickham should have had more free reign or less judgment on the guy. And if that's like, while we're analyzing the context of this character saying that, oh, it was, a, it was very good because he did feel so accessible and we did agree with him and then we thought about it later, it's like, no, that's a bad guy and therefore it's a very masterful written piece. It makes me uncomfortable to think maybe they don't realize necessarily that. Oh, I think he does. Um, I hope so. I, yeah, I think he I did think too. Because yeah. <laughs> he, I don't, the, the Q&A is obviously our, they were getting questions from the internet. All of our experiences were really different. Yeah. So, so who knows? Um, but he, the example that he gave specifically when he was talking about this is that he had someone read the play and there was a way that Georgiana was described where his friend was like, no, you should cut this. And mm. he reread it and thought about that specific section <laughs> as viewed by a contemporary audience. It was like, yeah, that's right. This, I, this shouldn't be in here. It's unsettling. Mm. That doesn't mean that the play is woke George Wickham. There is no woke George Wickham that's, that doesn't exist. He is a product of his time. There's a whole bunch of interesting social context that you can sort of ask questions about with all of the characters in Austin's novels, like in a more liberated society, how would these stories have been different? Mm. Um, when women had more power and agency and there was less stigma around independence, um, like w how would it have been different? Uh, but I don't think that the line that Purvis was drawing is the line that in that section that Lucas was talking about is drawn. It's not mm. about looking at text through a contemporary lens while writing a piece of historical fiction, which is a complicated thing that you have to look at. Um, like just be <laughs> like, you can't, just be like, oh, well, there was slavery, so we can write whatever kind of story about slavery we want. You still want the contemporary lens while you're acknowledging the factual reality of history. Um, whereas she was like, kids these days, yeah, with their he, she, they's and their blah, blah, blah. And I was like, no, that's not the same thing at all. Yeah. At all. It's not George Wickham would be canceled. The problem is that George Wickham wasn't canceled and Lydia was. You know what I mean? Like that's, if we want to talk about Wickham as a predator, we can do that. And that's the Georgiana story. Mm -hmm. I don't think that Wickham is a predator with Lydia. I think Wickham is an asshole with Lydia. And he is an asshole with Darcy, right? He extorts money from them. But there's n I've never seen an interpretation of Pride and Prejudice where it is anything less than 100% clear that Lydia absolutely consented yes. to everything that happens. Was she manipulated? Sure, absolutely. And she was a 15-year-old girl, and that piece of it, I mean, culturally, that's the piece that we can't even wrap our minds around now, right? But 15-year-olds got married all the fucking time. It wasn't weird. So that's the piece of it where you're like, <laughs> that's more complicated, but it's not the same thing at all. It's, yeah. the, it's not cancel George Wickham and it's not woke yeah. George Wickham. It's just a character and 
history and a contemporary lens and the complications that come thereof. I've been yeah. talking so much, and now I feel like I don't even know if I'm making sense anymore. Am I making no, sense? No, totally. There, there's, okay. a, there's a false equivalency, false equivalency there, and that's, that's, I think, what we're all reacting to is that they're trying to draw some equivalency, and it's like, nope, mm-mm, nope. Mm-mm, there's a great mm-mm. line in Mansfield Park <laughs> where um, it's one of the – there are not that many instances in Mansfield Park where Jane Austen Minerator pops her head out, but she does – near the end and says that um, spoiler for Mansfield Park, a book that came out a really fucking long time ago um, that these two characters that have run off together, a married woman and a single man uh, that in a just world, the punishment for both of them would be equal, but that's not the world we live in. So the dude was fine. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's a huge part of what the Wickham story is about. And that does come out here. Yes. Um, so I don't know if she's up in arms about consent, she should have a word with Lydia Bennett, um, who, if nothing else, lots of other problems there. Um, but she was not taken against her will. And when offered a way out by Darcy, she says she wants to stay. So she's asked many times what it is that she wants. And she always says what she wants is to be with Wickham. In my fanfic around the Lydia and Wickham uh, post Pride and Prejudice story, uh, Jenna Coleman is definitely the Lydia that I pictured. Yes, like Our she goat she was Lydia who I pictured so far for sure. Yeah, she was the person I was picturing screaming off stage, asking him to come back to bed. I was like, "That's Jenna Coleman." She was like <laughs> that, that. Those two playing back to fucking that would be awesome. <laughs> mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, what a dream. Mm-hmm. Totally, stand that. Amelia, what do you think? Um, I just, I mean. I mean, you hit those points. You hit them. I'm with you. False equivalency. Fuck it. Like, and, like, like, I, I just, it's, it's so shoehorned into that Q&A that now I just want to be like, what's the critic's name again? Libby Purvis. I just want to be like, Libby, are you okay? Like, are you <laughs> fine? I want to I be like, is this too much focus on you? Are you feeling insecure? in this medium and so are you just trying to shit on something to take the focus away from how uncomfortable you are about I don't know attention I don't know um, but speaking of fanfic should we talk about our favorite fanfic elements like when he was giving updates on yes yes <laughs> yeah I'm yes. into it yeah um, I first of all I've been reading a lot of stories like this uh, and I want to say that this is uh, I think the only one <laughs> in which Wickham du- they all like George Wickham went to Waterloo for sure he went to Waterloo uh, and in I, all of the others I've read so far, he dies at Waterloo or fakes his death at Waterloo. So um, this is the only one where he lives to a ripe old... There's a, there's a, a fun one called The Bad Miss Bennett where uh, Wickham is a war hero who died at Waterloo and Lydia's the only person that knows that he got trampled by his own horse. <laughs> it's, really a, it's really a hoot. Um, so the biggest change from those others he, for me is that is that George Wickham is alive and well and did fight at Waterloo and poor Denny took poor a Denny. bullet to the throat, throat. at Waterloo. Oh. Uh, well, let's start with Denny then. I loved Wickham and Denny's meet cute. It was so cute. It was so. They he tells the story about Denny getting in a bar fight with a bunch of people who were attempting to cheat him at cards, maybe. And Wickham can tell. There's Lucas. The delivery on this line was so good, where he was like, "As you might be able to tell at this point, I hate bullies," um, which is very self-aggrandizing because the bully, the bully is Darcy slash society. <laughs> 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 which is like you're dumb but the delivery of the line was great 
and he jumps into the fight because he can tell these other dudes are bullies. And then the man looked up and spat said, thank you for this. Spat a tooth. Said, thank you for your assistance. The name's Denny. It was great. It was a thrill. It was great. But then he died. Um, which of these, fa- we'll talk about all of them, but which of these fanfic fates was your favorite, Amelia? It's, well, they're, they're kind of intertwined. The fact that Mr. Bennett is still kicking. This is my favorite, too. But my, my, my true favorite is then the result of that, of Mr. Collins being furious every day of his life. Yeah. That Mr. Bennett won't die. Getting more and more furious. Yeah. 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 I love it. Yeah, Me that too. like that relationship, and just the fact that they're um, for the entirety of Mr. Bennett's life, he's just been looking at Mr. Collins, not saying a fucking word, going, "Still alive? How you doing, buddy? I'm alive. You're stuck. How's that entail treating you?" Mm, mm. Catherine de Bois, you enjoying Rosing Park still? So good. She's definitely dead. She doesn't come up, but man, <laughs> even if she's fueled by her own spite, she's definitely dead. Well, I imagine the sermons from Mr. Collins still. She died includes. of boredom. Yeah, she died of boredom. <laughs> That's what it was. Totally. Um, yeah. I well, we so we learned that Mr. Bennett is still alive, uh, but that Mrs. Bennett is not. She shuffled off that mortal mortal coil. I oh, oh this was that well, I just had a cruel comment maybe that's how mr bennett was able to stay alive so long his stress you know level what? went down his stress level definitely <laughs> went down but also his entertainment went down that's true um mary also still alive uh, still unmarried still mary um there's a a great little line he has about her tendency to n- needlessly exhibit without prompting it just it was very vi- very vividly brought to life the idea that Mr. Bennett's existence was like seven decades of Mary going plomp, 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 plomp on the piano three times a day, every time company comes over. <laughs> Bow, fair maid. <laughs> oh, and then he gives he gives the uh, update on Kitty, and she just Kitty's like boring husband and terrible children. <laughs> yeah, she has a bunch. She has a brood, and she's married to someone boring. That's all I got. Bye, Kitty. Like, oh, it's Kitty. Kitty. Yeah. Kitty, Kitty got done wrong. Uh, and Lizzie and Darcy have two sons, and they're both, they're both little George Wickhams. Which is canonically tied to Death Comes to Pemberley, right? They were, so, I mean, there we go. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I loved the way he described our favorite golden retrievers, the Bangleys, <laughs> as, what was it? Like, it's like, like supping on cream and sugar or something. Like, it's like, what's it like? Uh, honey and cream or sugar and cream. I think cream. it was sugar and cream. Sugar yeah. and cream. Uh, it was, it, the line was something like, you know, excessively pleasant, but only in small doses. This is yeah. yeah. chef's kiss to that meal of sugar and cream. Yeah, it was just like, you can't say anything bad about them, but I also don't want to say a lot. <laughs> One of the things I liked about that section is I think... You would have to imagine that when Adrian Lucas pictures the characters from PP, he's picturing from that PP, right? Totally. And yeah. that describing the people who play Jane and Bingley as sugar and cream just immediately. It's it's not just in their personalities. There's something about the way that they look and the way they look together where they're like, 
Chelsea Penn. You know what I mean? It's just really, <laughs> <laughs> they're really, um, they're just precious. They're little Hummel figurines. Uh, so that, I thought that description as well was super effective. I don't remember how Mrs. Bennett died. She just died. Like you do back then. You know, you hit 40 and then death. That's, oh how, God. Regency, and that's again, how Regency works. I just saw Midsommar last night. <laughs> Never mind. This is a spoiler for Midsommar. <laughs> I haven't seen that. So suddenly I'm like, it's well. a, oh. I watched Tenet. I watched Tenet last night. So my brain is like fried right now. Cool. Yeah. Um, what else? What else haven't we talked about? I don't know. It was good. Ooh, like... There was we uh, did we talk about how it's how it was staged backwards? Because I was obsessed with that. Um, how we kept the lights would come up and we would see him in this beautiful Regency theater. It was especially effective in that Harriet Wilson section. But mm-hmm. um, I thought the staging of it was really really beautiful. Yeah. I like, yeah, I like it was a really well done play on top of all the uh, technical things they had to deal with. Like, it was just really well done. I really enjoyed it. What about you, Amelia? Final thoughts? Um, my favorite line, I, I agree with everything you said. I want to make sure that we talk about my favorite line. Please. And it is When Lydia is happy, I am happy. And when Lydia is asleep, I'm delighted. <laughs> I wrote that one down too. There was another one that I wrote down. Um, I, now I'm realizing I left my phone that has my notes on it in the bedroom, but I think I can just open the notes app and find it. Let's find out. Technology. Yeah. Um, yeah. When Lydia's happy, I'm happy. When Lydia's asleep, I'm delighted. Uh, that's where respectability leads us page after page of burn genius. Um, when they're talking about how Byron's wife burned all of his letters, yeah. um, that I thought that was a really great line. Um, and there was one more. Uh, well, I'm happy to try anything once. And it was. It was about, it was about being a vicar. When, yeah, uh, it was about. Mi- yeah, when Mr. Dar- when old Mr. Darcy was like, hey, so there's a posting and we're going to make you the vicar. And he was like, I don't think that's a good idea, but. I'm well, I'm happy to try anything once, which is what you like. You imagine Wickham saying that about like a threesome, right? Like, <laughs> not about being a vicar. Uh, so that really made me laugh. Um, he had a number of lines. I didn't write anything down because that's, you know, yeah. uh, I'm silly. But like, there was a number where I f- straight up guffawed. I was like, I wish I could give him a reaction so he knows that a light goes off to know that that was funny. Yeah. Take my energy. Oh, I laughed. Keep with that. I, I lolled, <laughs> as the youth say, um, several times. Mm. I wish I'd seen it at 9 a.m. It seems like a lovely breakfast experience. It was a lovely breakfast experience, honestly. Did you Recommend. have a nice cuppa? I did. I kind of, I really wish, this was a play that I, like, I wish we could have seen it in person. Yeah, me too. At night, like, getting beers afterwards and then dissecting the shit out of it. And in, in, during the process of that, realizing even though we had a good time, holy fuck, what an evil person kind of thing, you know, like that would have been a lot of fun. Mm-hmm. That's, it was a good play for that. I, uh, before we go, want to do, cause I said we should do this earlier. I do want to talk a little bit more about the performance because, oh my God, the, just the texture of it. Like you feel those 40 years or whatever between the George Wickham that we see in the, 
Andrew Davies' PP and the George Wickham we see now. Like, it's, there were just so many layers. It was incredibly textured and intimate and, um, like propulsive there was so much momentum behind it it's really i directed a couple of solo performances and it's really really hard um to make it feel as though the there is an actual engine behind it and it's not just that you're making your way through this huge long speech um and i just thought it was really incredibly well done um and like i said before what a privilege to get the insight on a character from a person that's been thinking about that character for 30 years. Yeah. Like what a priv- what an immense privilege. Um, wh- like what a resource for a playwright. Obviously he's co-writing here. So some of the writing is his, but for the person he was writing with, like what an incredible resource. Um, did he talk about the other Jane Austen play that he's done in either of your Q and A's? I don't think so. He referenced, I'm going to have to try to find it online. He put together an evening of, of like Austin performance. I'm assuming maybe juvenilia and like speeches or whatever, but some other solo thing that he did that's Austin related, um, which he compiled, which I'll try to find and um, maybe we can find some more info on it. But hmm. yeah, were you as impressed by his work as I was? Cause I've always thought he was a good George Wickham, but this was great. Yes. Yeah, same. I mean, I like he is a he is a wonderful performer, wonderful actor, um, and the nuance of making someone likable who is someone that you would wouldn't want to touch with a ten foot pole once you realize that the correct the the type of person they are like that's hard to pull off. Mm-hmm. He did, and he does a great job of it. And um, I just the beats, the interactions with the set and like just the just being able to take in all of those stressors that are practical production processes and then still having a, you know, a relatable character that I can laugh and like see the terror in his eyes when he talked about Waterloo and Denny's death and like, um, you know, his life flashing before his eyes as he as he thinks about that young couple that's about to run off together. Like it's really he's it's very good. Yeah, when he says you'd wake your neighbor to tell him if his house was on fire, but anything else, I'm like, well, I mean, I might want a neighbor to wake me for any number of reasons, but yeah, but certainly if your house is on fire. Yeah. Um, Amelia, what about you? Final thoughts I mean, or thoughts on the performance? Um, I mean, I co-sign everything you two just said, but yeah, like imagine the journey we had to go on where he's rooting for that couple to run away and when the couple runs away we are joining him in rooting for the couple to run away and it's not until after we leave that like the immensity that's not a word the like the intensity of like um realizing how much he just wants to perpetuate cycles of his life happening over and over again in perpetuity like how fucking dark that is yeah, I think it's the, I think it's the experience of having all of, I mean, aside, you know, like moments of terror, et cetera, in his eyes, but like to go from such a jubilant experience to realizing that everything is trash is like, I want to say it's a gift, but it's also kind of upsetting. It's an upsetting gift. Thank you so much, Adrian Lucas. <laughs> I'm fucked up. <laughs> 
And you did it! It really, it's, that's the thing that I've been left with too, Amelia, is I am flabbergasted by how expertly I was manipulated by a character that I know at a bone deep level is bad fucking news. You know, like I already know all of the shit. We walked into that realizing this guy's going to manipulate me. And then we got manipulated. Yep. Fucking without like eyes open. Because he kept, because he keeps (laughs) telling us that he's telling the truth, right? This is his memoirs. And it's only when we hear things where you're like, that's a lie. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> that is bullshit. But maybe you think it's not. Like maybe you, after all this time, actually believe that this is what happened to you. It was fascinating. And ups- yes, uh, an upsetting gift. I kept thinking a privilege, like a privilege to have that much insight and to be so uniquely positioned as an audience member. It would yeah. be like if... You- if Lady Macbeth successfully talked you into killing the King of Scotland, you know what I mean? Like not Macbeth. Like all of a sudden you're like, that seems reasonable. And that's how you end the play. Somebody get on it. Like I want somebody write that play. Um, Where at the end you're like, I think I will kill the King of Scotland. What a fine idea. And then you leave and you're like, "Uh (laughs) uh-oh. Because that yeah. really was, Amelia, that point about the couple is, I was really rooting for that young couple to run away, and I was elated when they did. And then it was only after that I was like, wait, I don't have any information about what that was. Like, what happened? What is, we don't know that, that actual story. It was very bad when Lydia and Wickham did that. It was bad for everyone. Fascinating. And it wouldn't have gotten better in Victorian era either. Yeah, nope. nope. It got worse. Yeah. Because I do want people to be able to be with who they want to be with, but it's also not that simple. And he made it seem that simple, even though I know it's not. Fascinating. He's just setting up the world to be in a worse, in worse shape than when he found it. It's like the opposite of cleaning up your campsite, you know, like. It's like like seeing someone left a a Miller Lite can and being like, I have some Miller Lite. I can drink that and leave it here. Yeah. Yeah, I can litter in the same way. I'm down with that. Cool. <laughs> All right, let's do our scales really quick. Uh, how do we feel? Well, they're not scales anymore, but we'll do our little categories. How do we feel about the hand flex? I wanted to fuck Byron, so yes. I feel like for a for a play where there was only one person on stage and the only other person we heard was Lydia going, Georgie, come to bed. I feel like it was surprisingly sexy. There was yes. a lot to that. I'll give it a, um, the, an, if you were to hear an ASMR track of someone with a leather glove grabbing onto a baseball bat. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Like, you know, like it's, that's inherently not sexy, but there's just so much detail to it that you can hmm. picture, picture the sexiness of that. Interesting. Yeah. I don't listen to ASMR, but that's a very vivid sound in my brain. It sounds like this. Wow! <laughs> awesome. Okay, uh, Amelia, you when I when I said before I said that I wanted to fuck Byron, um, you were making a no, not so sexy face. Is there a specific? Instance? I think I'm only I'm only horny for Byron in this one, so I'm gonna give it. Um, the fluttering of a muslin shirt sleeve 
brushing against my face to wake me in the morning. Oh, nice. Ooh, that is. Um, but only if that is attached to Byron. I don't want Wickham to sleep. <laughs> I don't want Wickham sleep either. I, uh, I was also into Miss Harriet Wilson, um, but also young Lizzie Bennet, when he's talking about the way that Lizzie was looking at him as opposed to how all the other women were looking at him, that was also, it's like, oh, okay. I mean, mm. <laughs> I, I could get down with that too. I see your yeah. point, George. <laughs> yeah, we're horny for the same things in this play. Right. Yeah. Great. Um, the fact that we can be horny for anything in this play, I think, is yeah. a bit of an accomplishment. Okay, so mm-hmm. that's our hand flex. What about our Aspen factor, our, our shade? I mean, I think we get quite a lot of shade. We're living under an umbrella with this guy, so it's kind of like it's hard to know what shade and what's the light. When you know? when Lydia is happy, I am happy, and when Lydia's asleep, I am delighted. <laughs> That's fun. You know what? That is Jane Austen would write that shit. That is a great line. Yeah. That's something Mr. Bennett would say. Yeah. Mm-hmm. When Mrs. Bennett is happy, I am happy. When Mrs. Bennett is asleep, I am delighted. Like it's very. A thousand percent. It, it's great. Yeah. Any, any other shady moments that we want to point out? Uh, he just had some good... And they, overall, he's a parasol. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. It's just a parasol. This guy, just like, look at you. Oh, yeah? Fuck you. <laughs> Old Wickham is a human parasol. <laughs> As opposed to a walking sexually transmitted disease. Although he might still be that, too. Um, although if he was, he'd probably be dead. Syphilis True. killed True. a lot of people, folks. Um, I mean, maybe, maybe that's why he thinks all that's real. Maybe he has some <laughs> Oh, no. Oh, no. Oh, no. Um, okay, well, what are our other things? I don't remember. Aspen Factor. Uh, butthole? Golden butt. I mean, there's only one butthole. <laughs> there's only one butthole. If we're choosing he... a non-Wickham butthole, I'm choosing Mr. Bennett not dying just to spite Mr. Collins. Joint award. Yeah. <laughs> That's here. That that there's kind of there's something heroic about that though. So I have a hard time calling him a butthole. Oh no, but but Collins is also the butthole. Just getting oh. angrier, angrier. Uh, in my in my uh, ad- adventures in Pride and Prejudice fanfic novels that I'm having currently, um, there's one <laughs> where Mr. Collins um, d- dies by drowning in his own duck pond <laughs> because he's oh, trying <laughs> he's trying to get honey out of a beehive. And he's like, my dear, I'm going to get honey from the beehive. And Charlotte just like doesn't say anything. And he goes and he gets chased by bees until he falls into the duck pond and then he drowns. That's. uh... (laughs) I thought you were saying, we were going to say that he drowned in the duck pond because he was trying to convert the ducks to Christianity. (laughs) That would also. He was trying. No, it's because he was trying to tell the ducks about Lady Catherine de Burr. Trying and to tell the, the ducks how many windows they had at Rosing. In the process, trying to sell them car insurance. We really yeah. wanted to talk to you about your car insurance. Yeah. Um, the fucking guy. He would be a car insurance. All right. So that's our golden butthole. I mean, the MVP, I think, uh, it's a solo performance. But he also co-wrote it. So, like, respect. I, everybody in that play, man, from the design to the director, even though we're, you know, we're critical. Yeah, of, the like, costume the no- was beautiful, wasn't it? The costume was mm-hmm. great. Especially given the, in that pre-show, they talked about how it was hard to put together a costume because everything was closed yeah. or prioritized for film. But everyone on that, on that production did awesome. Did a really good job. Yeah. Is there anything else? I can't fucking remember. No, I, I, I drink a lot of water. Water. All right, Amelia, is there, for, uh, Amelia, for those who have not heard you before on the show, 
uh, and those who might have forgotten, where can people find you on the internet, and is there anything you want to plug? God, I wish I had something to plug. <laughs> My kingdom for something to plug. Um, keep an eye on the redacted Chicago Instagrams. We're probably going to do some more virtual shows, but I don't remember what date we picked. So, LOL. Um, otherwise, if you are interested in, I don't know, my occasional internets, I'm mostly on Instagram at Marlo Jr. M-A-R-L-O, like Marlo Thomas, Jr., like the small person. So, uh, Also for the dog content. Also, yes, there's dogs, there's bread, there's uh, bachelor conspiracy theories, uh, my very favorite kind, the only <laughs> kind I party with. Uh, yeah. 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 Uh, we're going to have to talk about bachelor shit when we're, when we're here. <sighs> Girl. Yeah, we, we really are. Um, Janine, what about you? Anything you want to plug? We don't usually do this, but we should. I mean, I was on TV again recently. Ooh, doing so what? I get interviewed on a show called Boom Bust on RT America uh, about space stuff. Um, so it's been a big few weeks in space-related news from landing on Mars and the first powered helicopter flight on Mars, which is pretty cool. Um, the moon lander contract and some fights between um, Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos, people like to talk about. This one's really big, and it, it, like, it's bigger than may, we might realize, but Russia left um, the International Space Station or will be leaving the International Space Station and putting in their, uh, going in with China. Um, and that's a, there, there are very few ways that we cooperate with Russia, and that was one of them. And so that's a, it's 2024 is when they're leaving, but nonetheless, it's been some big stuff. So I was on the news recently, and uh, otherwise, you know, just living life, doing my thing, hanging out with Jasper, making TikToks. God, I gotta get back on the TikTok. Because I gotta I mean, use that bonnet for something. All right, well, true. in that case, that's gonna do it for us. Uh, you, can, yeah. you can find the old drunk cast on Patreon at patreon.com slash podlenderdrunkcast where you can find all of our patrons um, as well as bonus episodes. Uh, Janine's Corner soon, maybe? There, Janine? Hopefully, maybe. Okay. I always feel weird about doing Janine Corners. I feel like there's so many smart people. I don't. I feel like, I don't know. It's so weird. People, the people weird. that just want a glimpse into your life. Think of it as a vlog, not an educational video. Okay. I just, uh, my, okay. You're right. Do, be true. like, I'm going to do dishes and then just do dishes and talk about your day. Okay. I'm the, self-conscious about this. The people, the people love you. Okay. Um, you can also get early access to new episodes. Uh, you can get all kinds of, all kinds of crap. Uh, Patreon.com slash Podlander Drunkcast. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Podlandercast. You can find us on Twitter at Podlandercast. You can find us on Instagram by following me because I haven't set up a Drunkcast Instagram account yet. I'm at Allison Chu. Um... Yeah, we're, lunch breaks are going to be back soon. Come back and hear about lunch breaks. They'll already be back by the time you're hearing this. Um, Amelia is going to do one. <laughs> Amelia what gonna be about? and Scotty. <laughs> Go ahead, Amelia. Tell the people. We'll be talking about the Bayou Tapestry. Cool. <laughs> Something that Scotty actually knows a lot about. And I just went on a tour once. I'll just be talking about dicks. It's going to be great. Yes. I mean, this is the audience for, for that. Hey, pal, it's Princess Technical Difficulties here, uh, reading you our list of patrons. So again, thank you so much to all of the folks who support the show, whether it's by leaving a review or 
I don't know, telling your mom that you like us. Um, but especially to our patrons and of all of our wonderful patrons, especially the following folks. Catspaw156, Maddie Perkins, Snazinach, Julia Gulia, Kathleen Martini, Lauren Tennant, Kelsey Kemp, Madison Johnson, Emily Day, Betsy English, Caitlin Reddick, Ashley Teagason, Kristen Freckled, Fury, Laura Calm, Amelia Bazell, Liz and Tinkerbell, Stella Welch, Chrissy Shively, Claire Feeney, Kayla Ray and Rochelle LaFever, Amanda Smizamazabaza, Heather Robbins, Jerry Hurdle, Brittany Holbert, Emily Carlson, Amy Gustafson, Rachel Townsend, Steph Peters, and Kelly Mazella. <sighs> Chantel Salters, Mary, the Falling Statue, Tara Lucino, Viv Pickles, aka Laura, Mary of the Grapefruit, Jenna Polkowski, Ann Gibson, Ruth McCormick, Katie Kirshner, Kara Marlowe, Trish McCurry, Dr. J, Jen Letter, Drugland, Kelly Bond, Amanda Newton, and Kiki, the wise. You can pretend that Julie and Janine said that last part with me. Uh, we will be back next week. Bye. <laughs>